Hello and welcome back to Box to Box. I'm Alex Perry alongside Jesse Levine, Jeff Isahauser, and joining us is Chris Lewis. Lots to get to once again, our second episode of the 2022 to 2023 season. And we start with the biggest news of the week by far, I would say. Casemiro has confirmed that he will be joining Manchester United. It is official. What do we think of this? It's a delicious signing. I mean, uh, Fernandinho retired, and now it's just Fabinho and, and Casemiro taking his place. Brazilian defensive midfielders, vintage stuff, 15 yellow card tackles, maybe one yellow card, maybe, probably not, though, especially not if Mike Dean's there. Well, Mike Dean's not – Mike Dean retired. Mike Dean's there. He's in everyone's ears, oh, though, that's now. Fair, yeah. Now he's in every – dude, there's no way he's not puppeting from that from that room back there. He always has to be the center of attention, Mike Dean. But Jesse, you you disagree with that take, though. I mean, so Jeff, you think this is an excellent signing for Man U? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Casemiro is a brilliant player, and he's done everything he can at Real Madrid. But when I think of the team for Manchester United, the number one question I think you ask when you go and buy a player this year for seventy million dollars, it's thirty years old, is and, and is is still potentially on the last stretch of his prime, is. Does this player make my make my team get into the top four? And that's the question that Manchester United should be asking. The answer is no. Is Jesse? It, it, Jesse? No players. Is make there a single no team? Is there a single player on the planet who a- makes that true? Absolutely, absolutely not. Which is why. So I then you should. So 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 then you're saying United should sign zero players because no, no single player I'm not. can get I'm them. I'm saying that they should invest in players that aren't at the end of their prime, spending seventy million dollars on it. Go invest in twenty three year olds, twenty four year olds. If you want to get a strong number six that has his prime ahead. They should have spent $30 million on Yves Basuma, but Tottenham was smart enough to go do that. Okay, You guys spent $70 million on a player that is at 30 years old. In two years, will be at 32 and past his prime. By the chance by then, maybe you'll be, if a good rebuild happens, approaching the Champions League. But you wasted $70 million on a player that is past his prime doing so. Go spend less money. Get a couple players that are way younger and build a project to get Manchester United back to where they were not getting players that are going to be that are that probably won't be the best in a couple of years when they are going to be competing again. It makes absolutely zero sense to me, especially at a $70 million price tag. I just, I just want to say one thing about Real Madrid midfielders, especially Casemiro. Just remember the two players that he plays with or used to play with in his midfield. Luka Modric is 37. Cruz is 34. I'm not really worried about Casemiro getting out of his prime anytime soon. That's not the issue. I think Casemiro will be fine up until like he's 35 being in his prime. I, I think the, I am with Jesse in this, like it's what's so weird is that they wanted Rabio before they wanted Casemiro. Cas- this is the panic buy. Veronique Rabio, the why single Rabio. Why aren't they going? Veronique Rabio is the MVP of our transfer window. She is the MVP of our transfer. She demanded too much money. United was smart enough to walk away and say, "No, we're not going to double your wages. You're coming from a club that's also shit, um, and we're not going to double your wages just to come here and be terrible. We're not doing what we did with Pogba again. They were willing to take him for fair wages. They weren't willing to take him for unreasonable wages, and they walked away. And within a week, they bang bang got one of the best defensive midfielders in the world. Okay, but how well does Casemiro really fit into Eric Ten Hag's game plan because Casemiro is more of a disruptor. He's not a facilitator, and I think like the, the, United, he, you know, you know, United in the top five leagues for defensive midfielder, what for for much of the summer was De Jong, and De Jong is a very different player to to Casemiro. Like Casemiro is not going to set the tempo. He's going to come in. He's going to you know he's going to is there a is there intercept challenges? He's going to win the ball back. He's not going to set the tempo the way that they were. So he's going to. He's a very different player. So why are they spending 70 million for him? Because we desperately need someone to protect the back line, intercept things before it runs into Martinez and Maguire and Varad. And we've been running McTominay out there. This is the single greatest improvement any Premier League team has made in any one position this offseason. And it does. By a long shot. It's not going to make a difference to them. It makes a huge difference. Hold on. But this is my point. You just mentioned how shit their backline is. It is a band-aid on a much bigger problem. No, I mentioned I mentioned that the midfield was shit and the backline has been getting exposed. You're right, you're right. Having Sorry. no midfield. The, mid, the midfield and the backline. Even more of my point, it is a band-aid on a much bigger problem. For, what's, the, what's the bigger problem? That we're leaky at the back? The fact that you back? don't have the players to compete for a top four and getting one player doesn't change it. So why not invest 
and making your entire team better, getting young players that will be in their prime that have eight to 10 years ahead of them. For God's sakes, Calvin Phillips went for $20 million yet less. And he's if you think Calvin Phillips was going to walk in, do you, if you think Calvin Phillips was going to look at a deal with city and a deal with United and saying, I'm going to United, I'm not you're saying he's going to say that, but I'm saying for the price that you spent compared to the market, value name a player that was a name, a player that was available and willing to come to man United that we should have gotten in, in our midfield position. Name one, name know, one but, player. I, I, but Rabio, as a Juventus time. fan, Rabio, trust you, me. You didn't <laughs> make He's really what attempt did you guys make? And I just also want to point out that I find it so funny that you, that's that the time you finally get a real CDM that like that is actually willing to hold the back. You let go of Pogba, who was the one player that you're trying to ask to play a CDM, but was much better forward. But he couldn't do that because you didn't have a real CDM. Imagine if Pogba was actually on this team and in form with Casemiro there. It the timing is just ridiculous. You wait until your center midfielder, your center midfielder who, when he's in his when he's you what know, that form can be one of the best center midfielders in the world, but you don't pair him with the guy that they really need as a strong number six. You let him go, and then you get a real number six. It makes no sense to me. We like have no lack of, of talent in creation. We went and added Erickson to a, an attacking midfield position that already wasn't a weakness with this team Agreed. with how good Bruno is. So there's, I have no problem with us shoring up the back line and letting Pogba walk as what, well. like I have no, first of all, United cleared about million five uh, weekly off the wage book this year. Um, and I'm happy with every single guy who walked. I'm happy to have let walked. I don't think Pogba was worth anywhere near that money. I don't think Lingard was worth anywhere near that money. Matic and, and Mata were both done. And I'd love to see Mata come back as a coach in some capacity. But if Ten Hag doesn't want him, fine. Ambassador to the club in some capacity, whatever. But everyone else, goodbye and don't don't touch the club again. But I think you could. I think both two things can be true at once. And that that's that Kashmir is a great player and is definitely an upgrade on McTominay and Fred. But also that it's not good business for United. It's not good business because it doesn't. He doesn't fit into the system that Ten Hag is trying to implement. It's not good business because he's thirty years old and he's going for seventy million. And it's not good yeah. business because United have spent so much money on all these, you know, elite level players, and it just hasn't worked out for them. They signed Pogba, who didn't live up to expectations there. Like Maria, four or five years ago. Okay, I mean, what Lukaku didn't live up to expectations. Maguire, Lukaku didn't live up to expectations Maran. at Chelsea either. Okay, that, that's Maguire's fair. Maguire's that getting fair. shopped for about Veron. What about Veron? Veron has been injured and to be fair has not lived up to no. full expectations. Yeah, exactly. So, but like the, the strategy has failed over and over again for United, and yet they keep going. So, like for me, them signing Cashmere isn't even news. It's just gonna be more of the same for them. And they're still not gonna be anywhere near good enough for top four. Because with or without Casemiro, they're still probably several steps behind Arsenal, several steps behind Tottenham. And certainly several steps behind Chelsea, regardless of how poor they were today. We'll we'll see. Uh, did anyone else see the the rumors that uh, Maguire, who's been so terrible, is is on the block for about seventy million to Chelsea? I I have seen those. You know what's funny? I what? actually don't think that Maguire in a back three would be that bad. I really don't I think he's much more of a defender in a back three. I know how bad he is with Man U, and I think he's, he's not fantastic a with England. And it'd be a very similar system. He'd get protection from Silva and Reese James if they slotted him in in the right uh, center defensive uh, position. They'd probably start Chalaba, to be honest. But or Koulibaly. Oh, Koulibaly. Yeah, you're right. Koulibaly, yeah. Koulibaly won't be starting. Well, not a, the next game. Not the next game not, on account of that. That um, was, by the way, that second yellow was a second yellow from a player who wanted to hit the showers 10 minutes early. That was, he had cover behind him. He had three defensive players behind him in position. He really picked up that second yellow and said, I'm done for the day. This team shit. Already, it was already 3-0 at that point, was it not? Or yeah, it was 3-0. It was in the yeah. 85th minute that he picked up his second yellow. And he picked up the first one at the very start of the game when Brendan Arison turned him into a f- absolute spinning top. Had him doing 360s out there, just grabbed on for dear life. I, I think it's called soccer now. It is called soccer now, and Brendan Aronson is the new world ambassador of the sport. So oh, I, I want to go back to the signing though for a second. If I look at the team right now, how many play? How long do you think Jeff it should take Man U to be back contending for Champions League? Uh, they'll be in the Champions League four, next year. Four. You're oh, joking. Contending for You're top joking. four? To contending for top four? Not this year. They'll be in the Champions League next year by winning the Europa League. Yeah, but okay. I know that is that, that's a so. Here's, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, no, but hold so, on. Want to, it, that's still a failure for United if they, because you shouldn't be resting your entire season on the Europa League because one thing goes wrong and that's your entire like 
that is a very that's not a sustainable method of no it doesn't have to be sustainable it has to work once in a two-year rebuild let me ask you this jeff what at what point do you see manchester united going back and really competing for trophies two years three years honestly next year not this year but next year they should be. A, right. They should. If the if the with project goes if the project goes well, they should be able to with a, possibly a couple more signings at the end of this window and in January, and then a big summer next year should be looking at an EFL Cup or an FA Cup or if they're back in the Europa League, a Europa League, and say we can win trophies this year. It should be easily attainable for them. And how many of those players that you have right now, including Casemiro, should be uh, should be starting for them next season if they want to compete for trophies? Next season, players that are currently on the roster. I would have to guess like four, five. Then, and with what money? How are you going to compete? How are you going to go from losing four nil? How are you going to go from being at halftime four nil down to Brentford uh, with what? Only four players in your lineup really capable of remaining there. And you're telling me in one year they're suddenly going to change that, sign all these players that compete for titles? That's not how it works. So first of all, first of all, one of those players is already in in Casemiro. Second of all, another one is already owned by the team um, and will take over the number one jersey from De Gea next year anyways. Third of all, we have a bunch of uh, players who I think should be getting a chance this year to prove themselves at the youth level. I don't think all of them are going to make it. I don't think any of them are going to make it. But it wouldn't shock me if one of them – stakes a claim for the the first 11 for next year that could be garner in the midfield if we get sick and tired of fred and mctominay that could be um that could be diallo on a wing it could be garacho on the wing yeah, they're not going to compete with diallo on a wing they're not going to compete for titles if, if they have diallo they, but they've got to find out my point is they they're they're not competing for the premier league title they could win a cup they could they could win the europa league all they have to do this year is find out with those youth players and I mean, Casemiro, Bruno, Sancho. Um, I, I'm fine oh, with Veron starting. Yes. Sancho, who has what scored three goals in the league? Listen, no, I, I have I have less of a problem with Sancho actually. Like it, the thing that oh, I look at this team and oh, but the thing I look at this team and go and I have a problem with is maybe I think they're misplaying Lissandro Martinez, but I'm gonna give him a pass right now because it's only been a few. He games. was he was the only good part of our entire game against yeah. Brentford. No, no, no. I, I'm gonna uh, yeah, like I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna give him a pass. Most, a lot of these guys that are playing right now are either not good enough or will, or are not going to be in their prime very soon. Okay. You have a back line of Maguire and Varane. If, if, if you want to keep those two, both 29. Lissandro's 24. He has plenty of time. Jaden Sancho's 22. Give him some time. He has plenty of time. Okay. Bruno is, I believe, 28 now or 27. Um, still got plenty okay. of years at the top. Okay. Oh, yep. Nope. That, fine. Ronaldo's obviously, you know, Ronaldo should be gone. Yep. Ronaldo, this Ronaldo year. Will, yep. Ronaldo will be gone. Um, you have both Luke Shaw and Tellez who just aren't good enough. There First are of all, Tellez of- is already gone. Um, sorry. Thank you. Sorry. You have Luke Shaw. Who's just certainly not good enough. Um, God, the, what the a- point is that, that there's just a lot of problems with this team. And don't you think that, the seventy million dollars that you spent right now is a band aid for the bigger problems that they have, and that you're better off spending it on a player or two, or maybe take seventy million dollars and put it on one player that is younger. It can have a seven to maybe even ten year career at Manchester United and be a top player. I'll, listen, if you could tell me right now uh, a signing that was available in the midfield uh, going forward, who's, who's going to have a ten year, who's going to have a guaranteed ten year? Ibsumah is not that good. He's very good. You'll see this season. Okay, he's not as good as Casemiro is right now, but you have to look at the long haul. Like, he's not as good as Casemiro is right now. He's not as good as Casemiro is next year. And this isn't this isn't Arsenal where it's going to be a five year project of playing a bunch of young kids and being okay finishing eighth one year. Now, whether United likes it or not, well, you're going to be okay with it because that's what's going to happen this year. And not only that, Arsenal are on the up. Let's not forget. Listen, that. I'm not saying that Arsenal aren't on the up. I'm saying United's approach will not be we're okay finishing eighth for a year or two. Their ambition is always going to be to finish top four, and they're going to make signings with that in mind. They're not going to say, oh, we're willing to tank a year. For better or worse, United's not going to tank a year, and they're going to go out and make world-class attempted signings to try and compete every single year. If but that's again, a bad long-term well, strategy, but maybe. That's the same strategy that, is not, that has failed over and over again. I mean – even if someone like look like Zlatan, what was a success there, right? Ronaldo's been a success. So the, they've signed big players who individually have worked out. 
But this strategy hasn't worked. It's like with Barcelona. You can sign all these world-class players, but if there isn't a, a concrete vision for how to take this club forward, how to build a team where these players can work well together and they have attributes that suit one another, they're not going to get anywhere. United are making the same mistake over and over again. It's, it hasn't gotten them anywhere before, and yet they still don't learn. Like, they, at the end of the day, they have to prepare. I, I'm with Jesse that, you know, they maybe do have to prepare just to have a season where they don't finish top four if it means rebuilding and, I guess, establishing a more sustainable solution where in the long term you're going to be more consistent and where you're in finishing the top four and challenging for trophies. Arsenal right now, just to compare, even if Arsenal don't get top four this season, if you look at the players they have, their core players, Sokka, Martinelli, Gabriel Jesus, Odegaard, Smith-Rowe, uh, Saliba, right? And Tierney, if, if he can stay, stay fit. These are guys that are going to be approaching their prime at around the, the same time of their career, have their best years ahead of them, who you can see probably within two to three years are going to be regular top four finishers, if not challenging for the league title. Like you could see Arsenal heading in that direction, maybe not this season, but going forward. It, it, it's how in the long term do you get back to regularly consist, cons- regularly challenging for titles, finishing in that top four. And the way to do that is, I'm sorry, but you know, maybe taking a year where you have to rebuild the team and deal with finishing six or seven. So you're, you're missing a couple of key things here. The first one is that like it or not, that will never be United's approach. And I don't like it. I'm not disagreeing with you guys that that is the approach United should take. My point is, given that they will not take that approach and they're only going to sign big name players and, and try and do this a dumb way, Casemiro's by far not the worst way they could have done it. I agree, the, with, the, I agree with you there. Yeah, they also there. signed a bunch of big names. Jeff, what did they do last season? They signed Sancho, they signed Ronaldo, and am I missing someone? The Sancho, Veron, or the, those are the three big names that they signed last summer. Like That was a summer that should have taken them from top four finishers to title contenders. They go and they sign all these big names, and they finish in seventh by signing big names. And now the... the and having the, a manager that's not capable of putting together a title run. Okay, but... Yeah. I, I don't, I'm not going to put that all in all. Yeah. And and also signing Ronaldo uh, as part of a plan that they had a whole plan for the entire year that got thrown on its head when Ronaldo wanted to leave. And United looked at him getting an offer from City and went, there's no way that's allowed to happen. And they signed him and it's going to end up being a bad decision, even if it worked out for a year. Uh, they're, 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 they're business people in charge of United, and that's why they're making the decisions that they're making. And that's the problem. Get back to the crux of the issue. The problem for United is the ownership. It's the people uh, above Ten Hag. It's the people with the money bags. It's the people in the board meetings. That's the problem, and that's why we won't see a game tomorrow at Old Trafford. And that's a fact. We will not see a game play tomorrow at Old Trafford. And Klopp can bitch and moan about wanting all three points because he's, you know, actually afraid of United, which is terrifying. Um, the, the fact that Klopp has to complain about it, he Klopp should be asking to play that game literally any time. But you know, he's, he's dropped points to Fulham and he's dropped points to Palace and suddenly he's terrified. It's not that, that he doesn't want to play the game. He, he said, just, and I quote, said if, if the they can't play tomorrow. Canceled. He said if the game is canceled, they should get three. That doesn't mean we don't want to play the game. That means I'm. That means in some part of my mind, I think I can't get three points. No, against no. United. I'll tell you what it means. I'll tell you what it means. It means that there's a busy season. The fixtures are congested, and Liverpool shouldn't be punished for that and have to play an extra fixture. Klopp's and just a whiny baby in the media. Difficult. That shouldn't. Liverpool shouldn't be punished for that because Manchester United fans are storming the pitch and preventing the game from being played. Uh, that I, was his I, point. I, 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 I think, Klopp I does think like we're to complain. Hold on. We're getting a little like bit off topic. Let, let's, Jesse, let's we need back. to get off topic because despite the fact that, you know, hated or uh, adored, we're never ignored. There are 19 other teams in this league that should get talked Correct. about at Exa- some point. Exactly. And I do, I do want despite to the fact that United is like, you know, 40% of the, the value of the Prem. We also need to get Kristen and Akshay, who joined late as well, need to get him in on some other topics. Alex, you want to go to the next one as Jeff and I kind of hashed this out a little bit? Yeah. Um, so we talked about Arsenal. And in Arsenal, I see a team who, unlike United, maybe haven't spent money, loads of money on the biggest names, but who have, you know, they've suffered a bit. They suffered a lot last year, but the foundations are, have definitely been laid for the team to maybe finish in the top four this year. And that's looking likely, if not, you know, come very, coming very close, but at least regularly challenging for top four. And definitely in a few years, with, with the players they have, with the trajectory that they're on, you could definitely see them finishing, you know, being top four regulars in a season or two. 
And look, three games, three wins. I don't want to look too too deeply into it because I haven't had the toughest opponents. But in the bigger picture, they are on the up. I mean, whether or not they get top four or not, they are improving, and Arteta is taking them in the right direction. Yeah, I, I think that's great. Absolutely correct. The one thing I really just want to quickly point out, and as much as crap as I just talked about Manchester United, is there's, a, there's always a lot of overreaction. I've spoken about this last season in soccer, especially when it comes to managers, but just teams in general from fans. is the overreaction of a couple of games and the ability to be really high at the highs and really low at the lows. It's an important to understand that teams get into slumps, especially teams that don't have the world-class talent all over the field that City have and Liverpool have, that there are going to be really good stretch of runs and really poor stretch of runs at times. So that's going to happen for the majority of teams out there. So as bad as Manchester United's been, it has only been two games. There shouldn't be a complete overreaction. Um, there's, there are a few new guys on, uh, on this team. And they need they, and Ten Hag needs some time. So as bad as it was, people were cutting at Arteta's neck. And all of a sudden, by late October, they're talking about how great of a job he's doing. It was three games. And then the next eight games, the fans completely changed their opinion. So I think as much as we're reacting, it is important to take a step back and understand it's only a couple games and not an entire season and teams go through runs. With that, that's also leads me to my point on Arsenal. I'm not going to talk really too much about the first three games because they played well. What's more important, Alex, as we brought up is in terms of the project that they're building. And one of the things that I think is incredibly important is not just the players that they've brought in, but the players that they've gotten to buy into the project, the retention that they've had. You look at Saka's on a big deal, like a new deal. Mardinelli is on a new deal. They re-signed Smith Rowe. Um, Eddie Nketiah had his foot out the door. He's back in there. And I think he's going to be doing a very good job as a second striker for them. Really good, like kind of best in the box player. Um, they brought back William Saliba, who Alex, you know how high, how high I was on him um, even before he started the season. He's been brilliant. They got Granit Xhaka, who like it or not, he's done a very good job of last, uh, to start the season towards the end of the last season. They brought, they brought him back. It's important to get the players to buy into the project not just bring in players that do so. Um, and that's what Arsenal have done a great job on, is they've let go of the players that haven't um, kind of fit into the vision, and they've brought in players that have and kept the young players that also do. And that is kind of what I want to highlight with this team so far. If you look at all of the pitch, Gabriel Jesus is 25, Odegaard's 23, Saka's 21, Marnelli's 20 or 21. You look at the midfield, Thomas Partey's 29 and Jack is 29. Those are the only two players that are, kind of um, right at 30 years old. Tierney, I believe, is 25. Zinchenko's 25. Um, Ga- uh, Gabriel's 25. Ben White's 25. Uh, William Sleeva's 21. Tamiyasu's 23. Aaron Ransdell's 23, 24. All these players are young players that believe in what they're doing, and they're building a project here. Sammy Lakanga, Eddie Nketiah, all these guys. So that's the only point I really want to make. I'll open it up to the rest. But I think that's really important when we talk about Arsenal is to look at the players that have bought in, both from players coming in, as well as the players that have stayed. And Zinchenko might look 25, or it might be 25, but he looks about 14. He's got such a baby face. I think he counts as a youth player still. I think they could register him for the <laughs> U16s. He's done a great job, I'll tell you. He's played very well for them. And yeah. he really fits in so they could play a back three when they're attacking. So they keep the back three in White, Saliba, and Gabriel, while Zinchenko attacks and plays kind of more of a midfield. It opens up Granite Chaka to press a little bit more forward. Um, I'll kind of open it up. I know I spoke a lot. The, the fear for Arsenal isn't isn't the good patches because they had great patches last year too. The fear yeah. is what ha- is do they have what it takes to not let the loss turn into the losses? Last year, Arsenal lost all of their games in clusters. They lost three of four to start the year. And then starting with the three Liverpool game, uh, sorry, three of three. I was counting, uh, there's a West Brom uh, cup game in there. Right, right. Um, three of four in November, starting with a four nil Liverpool, lost to United, lost to Everton, which I mean, that Everton loss looks extra bad now. Um, and then starting at the new year, uh, lost to City, lost to uh, Nottingham Forest, draw with Liverpool, lost to Liverpool, draw with Burnley. And then again in March, it's four losses in five. And then again, to finish the year with a couple losses in a row. That's the danger with Arsenal is do they have what it takes to to bounce back from a loss this year? Have they learned from those mistakes? Will they be able to avoid long ruts? They're going to get in ruts. Every team is going to get into some ruts. But Arsenal needs to avoid the big one where they drop points for an entire month. And if they can, they have a chance to seriously go after top four this year. Uh, but it's going to be tight. This is going to be a wild prem. We've already got uh, Liverpool with two points. I mean, we've clowned on United. They look terrible against Brentford. Please listen to last week if you want to hear Akshay and I just go off. But as bad as they are, United have a chance, if the game gets played on Monday, to go ahead of Liverpool if they win. 
That's it's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. But that's terrifying. The fact that that's how badly Liverpool started. The fact that Chelsea dropped three points to you know Team USA. Uh, they should have beat um, Spurs last year or last weekend. Uh, that Cucurella, uh missed call was absolutely terrible. But this yeah. is gonna yeah, be. Have a we wild discussed crowd. that game in depth? We didn't discuss oh, yeah, that yeah, game yeah, in we depth. We, 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 just, no, we discussed whether or not Conte uh, went in a fight with Tuchel. But I was, yes, Jesse, which was the more yes, important discussion. Yes, and Chris, that was Jesse, more important discussion. Chris and Jesse, who, who wins in that fight? Conte or Tuchel? There's only one oh, right Conte, answer. Conte, Conte. Oh, you're so Conte. wrong. Chris, Conte. Okay, okay. Oh, God, okay. Conte. People are so misinformed. Are let me, the, the let me start. The Thomas Tuchel's physicality him. right now is, 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 a, is a string bean. He's a string bean. Let, let me start you with, let me start you with this. When the fight happened, when the fight happened, every single player was trying to get Tuchel away from Conte. Yeah, Why? Because yeah. Tuchel's a threat. Because Tuchel's a threat. They surrounded Conte. They clustered around Conte and said, we're going to bubble for you so Tuchel doesn't hurt you. We Look, need to. It was, it was five Tottenham players Look. who sprinted over and said, we got to defend our manager. And the Chelsea players looked over and said, Tuchel could take the six of them. We're going to keep clapping with the fans. That's Look, what the Chelsea players looked over and said, that's our guy. He takes six guys. He doesn't need our help yet. Conte won the social battle when he took him, when he found the photo of Tuchel running down and Conte posted on his Instagram saying, lucky I didn't see you, otherwise it would have tripped you. That's exactly what someone who knows they wouldn't win the actual win a, fight would do. Exactly. <laughs> He's got to win the social media fight because he can't win it in person. And by the way, love Jesse Marsh chiming in that Tuchel shouldn't have been yeah, allowed to be on the touchline and sneaking the word soccer into the press conference too. Just letting everyone know anytime he uses soccer from here on out, it's weaponized against English media asking dumb questions. He will only use it if he thinks your question's stupid. Um, let's get home. Let's get back to the talking point of Arsenal. I want to get Chris and Akshay in on this. Is this an Arsenal team that is going to be in the top four? I know it's going to be a really tight race, um, but but are they are they going to be? Chris, I'm going to start with you. I think they're a team that will you know, be a four or a five. I mean, like I was saying last season, it's a, it's a young team. So those ruts are, like you were saying, they're they're not really experienced players. Most of them are just getting to the, not even at their prime yet. So a loss for them can be a lot bigger than for a player that's already established, that's already known everything. I mean, they have from, just from the start, they're doing well. They'll do. They'll, I, I can see them finishing top four, but who who knows? That's the thing when you when you have a bunch of young players all on one team, anything can happen. I, I think. Oh, actually, why don't you get in here and then I'll then I'll chime in. Yeah, I'll, I'll real quick. I'll say I think Arsenal their their start to the year. I don't think it's you know I don't think it's misleading in terms of their you know the opposition hasn't been super high level, but I think you know what we've seen from Arsenal just by the eye test, they look ready. Um, they look super ready. Gabriel Jesus has broken out as a legitimate superstar. Um, and I think, you know, th- their real test is when they come up against like the more physical defenses where, you know, they don't really have a dominant striker still, you know, Gabriel Jesus is dominant in his own way, but he's not physically dominant. And I think that's going to be uh, a point that's going to be apparent when they go up against more physical, you know, higher quality teams. But I think, you know, top four is, is a no brainer for them, I would say, because Manchester United are already out of, out of that equation. Uh, and I think they can be one of the other remaining five in that top group to, or remaining four rather, to get to yeah. top four easily. Right. Okay. So, uh, Jesse, you said what? So, actually, I'm curious. You brought up Gabriel Jesus there. Um, outside of him, I think that it's very clear that he is Arsenal's best player. Is there anyone else that kind of stands head and shoulders above the rest? Because we talked about this unit kind of building together, but there's is there anyone else at Arsenal that you go, they're kind of slightly above the rest of the players. I mean, personally, I have mine, but I'll save mine for a minute. Um, do you have any, do you think there's any player that kind of it's at that level or similar to that level of Jesus? Are they all kind of just a step below and kind of similar? Yeah, I mean, now I'm just trying to guess who yours is, but um, I think it, it, you bring up a good point and just in terms of the way Arsenal has built their squad that I think is really excellent. And um, it is that, you know, like you said, the, the fact that we even have to ask that question, that we even are asking the question of, okay, aside from Gabriel Jesus, who's obviously been the standout, um, who have Arsenal really seen in their roster right now, who's head and shoulders above, who you can identify as a secondary superstar uh, over the rest of the roster. And I think it's a great thing that we have to ask that question and that there's no clear answer to it. Um, and I think that's a testament to how well uh, Arsenal has built their squad and how well they've, you know, uh, 
I, I don't want to say like they've they've created a, a parity amongst uh, across the roster. That means that you know it, uh, no player is bigger than the squad. No player is bigger than the team. Uh, and I think that really does wonders in terms of keeping the locker room steady, uh, in terms of keeping the respect for Arteta and the respect for what Arsenal are trying to accomplish. They keep the focus on the mission, right? Uh, and there's no distraction from a superstar uh, who's stealing the headlines or something like that. And I think that's a great testament. I do want to shout out uh, Zinchenko, though, um, because I think something important to know about Arsenal, I think one one uh, one underrated piece of how well they did their business this offseason uh, is that by bringing in guys like Jesus and Zinchenko, guys who are proven winners, um, they add that element of mental fortitude to, uh, to their roster that I think they didn't have last year in terms of, okay, now they have two guys in their squad, Jesus and Zinchenko, who are both starting, who are both going to be playing major roles in the lineup throughout the season, right? These guys are proven winners, proven uh, mental winners, as well as literal winners, right? Not only have they won the Premier League trophy multiple times between them, um, but they also understand that difference, right? They understand that slog, and they've been in the trenches with Liverpool throughout these past few years, right? Fighting those incredibly tense, incredibly close battles down to the wire for the title. Uh, that is an experience that none of the rest of these Arsenal players have had in their young careers. And I think that's going to make a huge difference mentally for this team in terms of having those players in the lineup that know that difference that is needed, that know um, that smaller margin of error that is needed to be applied later on down the road when they're really pushing for top four and they have to fight for every point. Right. I think that's going to be huge. Uh, on the that. other hand, Xhaka still a leader in that locker room. So, you know. 50 50 on how strong the like you you can add some but at, at, at the other end of the spectrum we still have that absolute basket okay, case. here's the thing though i i think like when you look at where arsenal were last season and they were at you know in march or april in a very strong position to finish top four and the fact that he blew it it's not really because of jock's leadership i attribute that more to the immaturity of their team because a lot of their key players are younger hadn't really developed and none of them really were fighting for anything had had never been fighting for anything as serious as finishing the top four in the stage of the season. So they didn't know how to react when things didn't go their way. It, it was a very novel experience for them. Now, in addition to having guys like Zinchenko and, and Jesus who have you know fought those battles, those long, you know, mentally draining battles with Liverpool, who have taken a title race to the final day, right? Now these players actually have that experience. Guys like Saka, Odegaard, Smith Rowe. So that's something they're going to learn from. It's not just physically that they become better players. It's mentally as well. And I think that's going to be key. But what's also going to be key is that, you know, they're playing well against the Leicesters, the Crystal Palaces aside. But what, what, what it's really going to come down to is also, you know, what they can do against Chelsea or Tottenham. Because I, 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 would, I would say that when Arsenal bottled the top four, it wasn't in those games um, like against Newcastle that they lost. Or I think they lost to Brighton at home at one point. That wasn't really the game where, where they blew it. They blew it against Tottenham. They had what they were in the top four. I get they have taught they go to Tottenham away with like three yep. games. If they get a point there, they're finishing in the top four. That's where they blew it. So partially because if they get really a point there, they progress in well, the, well, Paul Tierney had his head so far up his ass that game that he couldn't see straight. Um to start yeah, I think that, that's that's a bad game to bring up, Alex, because that I mean. The, the amount of things that went wrong for Arsenal that game from having a terrible ref to uh, having to play part. with 10 men for 60 minutes, uh, yeah. the penalty. There were there were a number of uh, problems that Arsenal had to ex uh, experience in that game. Right. Um, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't change the fact, though, that what's really going to – the biggest measure of how much Arsenal progressed from last season is how, the, how well they do against teams like Liverpool or City or, or Tottenham. Like the time's actually at the top of the table. You know, You're right. Not, I think not, I mean, not because they can beat Leicester comfortably or Crystal Palace comfortably. And they're looking great. And you can tell they're buying into our tennis system. But this is really where it's going to be put to the test. And we have to wait and see. I, I agree. I agree. And I, I want to get Chris in on this because I'm going to talk about Odegaard in a second, who I know Chris has followed for years. Um, we, we watch Arsenal. And if you look at their prior seasons, you've seen a little bit of – there's been a little bit of everything, you know, from – Last year, the Aubameyang controversy to not signing a striker um, to the season before of signing Willian and having an older front three and that not producing, um, like, I, to Arteta taking over and there being COVID. Like, this is the first season I feel that they, they actually have a whole team that kind of buys into um, what Arteta's building. If you've watched All or Nothing, um, I think it's kind of very interesting and very clear about how stubborn Arteta is in terms of the values of the passion and energy and, you know, the commitment from the players and, or as he says, it's the, uh, the commitment and the passion and, the, you know, but he also made a very bold decision to put Martin Odegaard, who's a 23 year old player 
who has not been a player the longest time at Arsenal. There are, there are multiple players that have been there longer as the club captain. I want, I'm curious, Chris, I'm curious. I mean, you know, Odegaard's been on the radar since he's basically 14, 16 years old as a talent. What does it say, number one, about Arsenal and what they're doing, as well as Martin Odegaard about, you know, do you think he's ready as the responsibility to be Arsenal captain um, at this age and with the experience that he's had? Well, I don't know if you guys know as much about Martin Odegaard as I do. I mean, I've, I've known about this kid when... He was a kid. When he was 15. But we were, getting, since we were a kid. Since we were a kid. We put on Real Madrid. So, so since he's since Arsenal was last in the Champions League? Yeah. Yes. Uh, and uh, he had, funny enough, he had a lot of issues with his personality of his ego is a little too much for him because he got to play with Real Madrid's first team. And it's so interesting for me now to see how humble he is, how, how different he is as a, he's not a, a spoiled brat like he was before. And, and he's. Well, yeah, he got humbled. He had to go yeah, to Arsenal. He, well, yeah, well, that, that'll that. do it. <laughs> well, it's, well, it's not like that. I think he went on more than three loan spells when he was. Well, he actually Madrid. He did very well in Sociedad. He did very no, well. I, uh, no, I know, but I was just like the, the fact. I think he he he's finally gotten to a place where not only does he's in a club that he belongs, but he's also very humble of where he is, and he wants to not only just win, but he wants to win with his team. It's not just because when he was younger, it was just I want to win. Now yeah. it's. I want us all to win, and it's. I think it's perfect for him to be captain. And if, uh, if you, I was to say, if you watch Odegaard play, um, who plays at Arsenal, this guy at times who plays as a number ten leads the press consistently. It's pretty unbelievable the shift that he puts in every single time he puts on the jersey, and and that's one of the main reasons Arteta had you know chose him. Um, keep in mind, this guy is also. Club cap, uh, sorry, the uh, captain for Norway for the national team over Holland. I know he's older than Holland, but or other players, certainly not the best player on Norway. So here's a guy who's 23 years old, club captain, and hopefully kind of breaks the curse of the club captaincy of Van Persie and Xhaka and Aubameyang and can actually be there for a while. Actually, I want to get back to you. The person I was thinking of who I, I really think is underrated, he's played fine this season, but if you look at some of the games last season, he's really the rock of this team is Thomas Partey. And he doesn't put up he doesn't put up the stats that other people do. He doesn't score the goals or the assists that other players do. But if you just watch the shift that he puts in, the way that he reads the game, his passing ability, his defense, his defense, it allows for Odegaard, it allows for Jock, who's not even that offensive minded to push forward because they have such a strong player in the back, even though they play a four, two, three, one. Um, is there anything else that you guys want to add on this team for Arsenal, or do you want to get over to the rest of the league I, and the VA? I would say one more thing. Um, first of all, no, Jesse, I, 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 I do recognize your shout out of Thomas Partey. I think that's a great dark horse thing that, you know, still a lot of us aren't thinking of. And I think you're right in terms of, you know, he's becoming kind of an N'Golo Conte type of character where he kind of just makes silent impact. He's a silent achiever that nobody really recognizes or sees. Uh, but if you watch him play and if you, you know, do the eye test, um, I agree with you. Let's, anyway. let's, let's get over to Oil Classico. Yes. Yes. Thrilling 3-3 three, three draw. Now – I mean, I have to ask just as a brutally honest question at halftime, uh, if anyone saw the score at halftime and was watching the game, I, I was fully convinced that it doesn't matter that they're playing in front of the home fans. It doesn't matter how exciting this Newcastle team is and how much belief and fire they have. Unfortunately, the machine is going to do its job. And in the second half, the machine did it. And it's, it's really frustrating watching the Prem because even though they didn't win, it, even though they were uh, down 3-1, I looked at that City team and I went, well, Fuck me, they're gonna go out and get at least two. I don't know if they'll get all three points, but you look at that team and you're like, yeah, they've got this. Like, I'm not actually that worried about them dropping all three points. Yeah, I mean, that's what we were saying about them last year, right? We were like, look, even when they get a goal down, nobody's worried because that's how good City are, and that's how good they've been for the past few years. And that's just the reality of the Prem now is City are never expected to lose, and they shouldn't be. <laughs> and they they added Holland, which is I know that he doesn't fit Pep's style beautifully, but it seems that the opposite is happening where instead of 
uh, him having to fit Pep style. Pep is like, oh, now I have a giant target in the center for all of my world-class passers to aim crosses at. This is beautiful. Like that second goal was just, Holland was standing there and he's like, I'm bigger, badder than everyone else. He almost had another goal where he 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 ran through the two center backs. The center backs came shoulder to shoulder on him and both bounced off like like they were playing a pinball. They just boinged and he kept running with the ball. It's this city team has added another layer and the, the prem has even with this three, three has probably been knotted up. This is the kind of game that every other team in the prem against Newcastle this weekend would have dropped all three points. No, no, but I, I think the, the scariest thing about Erling Holland, how well is he, you know, the idea that he hasn't really fit too well yet into Pep style is that yeah, he hasn't fit. He hasn't even like really adjusted to Pep style yet. Like they're still, not entirely compatible, and yet City are still scoring goals, and Holland is still scoring goals. So what's going to happen when Holland really starts to click? Like that is, I think, the the most dangerous possibility for for the rest of the league. I mean, what's going to happen that, is is what is has happened and will continue to happen, which is random Champions League quarterfinal win. exits and Premier League wins. Random random Champions League quarterfinal exits to I don't know. We'll make it Porto this year. Who knows? Uh, Ronaldo's Porto. Ronaldo's Porto. Ronaldo, if anything, Ronaldo's going no, back to sporting. No, 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 no. You guys, you guys haven't been smoking the same crack that the Prem writers have and with the soccer writers this way. Ronaldo's Porto. Let's get weird. So Ronaldo's I, I Porto and Iran's World Cup. Don't you think, though, that they're consistently coming back? And even the fans look at them and go, well, they're down, they're down two goals. They'll, they'll, they'll probably come back. Doesn't that speak to the level of character and the level of energy that the players play with the you know the mental belief that that they always have i mean in the premier league you could have you could have top quality yeah, players i was about to say players. they learned it from a spanish club I don't know. no i think it's a i think it's a psg case right where city are not used to losing and they shouldn't be and so when they're in the premier league they have the attitude that oh even if we're down three one at halftime there's no way we're going to lose this game and, and and it works in the prem and the UEFA Champions League, not so much, but uh, yeah, yeah, because the League, Real Madrid no. aren't Newcastle. That's whenever, it. whenever yes. they travel, can we can we ask this that's question? True. What are the chances that a City, bad example, Akshay? That was a bad example on my part. Sorry, Jeff. Go ahead. That, what are the chances that City players are are cursed not because they play for City, but because somehow it's their passports? It's any time they have to travel outside of England. I stop it. Their passports are cursed. Champions League conspiracy really theory. Like, just like Barcelona, you know, we're going to look back in five to 10 years and as many jokes as if Man City never win a Champions League, as many jokes as we're going to make about it, it, it will be, we'll look back and realize how impressive it was of Manchester City almost every single year winning, um, winning the prep. I mean, they're not going to be able to do this forever. There are going to be other teams that are going to drop at some point of the, of the caliber of players and there will be teams that have better caliber players. But the consistent qualities that Manchester City have had over the last six to ten years is incredibly impressive. And as much as we've made fun of them, I think I think in ten years we'll look back and see realize how impressive it was of them consistently winning the prem, very similar to Barcelona, consistently winning La Liga, um, even though them crashing out of um, Champions League, it was almost taken for granted. Which Barcelona team are we talking about? We're not talking about Barcelona under Pep because that team won the Champions League twice. No, I'm, I'm that talking team about hold, that team won the Champions League once. That team won the Champions League once, and they yeah, bought right. the Champions League once. They bought oh. the Champions League once in the biggest hey, disgrace. Hey. The Chelsea got absolutely taken that, out back that and was shot. So they, um, yeah. they bought oh. a Champions League. Oh, okay. They you bought a that. Champions League. No, that's true. No, that's I, true. I don't think. The, I think the conspiracy. The conspiracy theory is more like UEFA just didn't want a rematch of, the, of a Chelsea United Champions League. Fight. That's the theory. It's Why? Not in Barcelona. They bought a Champions great. League. <laughs> so I mean, UEFA Lona bought a Champions League, no, and I, I just, refuse to hear it. There's one point I would like to make on, on City that I think basically summarizes it is Liverpool finished, uh, I don't know if I'll get this number exactly right. Liverpool finished uh, that season in particular with 99 points and they still didn't win the title. That was 97, and, but... Uh, 97, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I, either way, that probably is never happening again. Like yeah. the insanity of that season and what it spoke to, not only about how good Liverpool were that year, but on another level, how incredible City were and how incredible City are overall, like we're talking about with this. I don't like, think, honestly, dynasty. I think like, it's Guardiola more than anything. Like, no, I, I, I agree. Really don't I do agree. this without Pep Guardiola's manager. And without Guardiola, Guardiola, they're just another they're PSG. Just they're just another PSG. And I want to bring this to, to an interesting question. Um, no, but they're, not even, I, they're not even another PSG without Pep Guardiola because they're not going to win the league this frequently once Guardiola leaves. Once no, Guardiola right. leaves, City will and sides like I agree, know, which is which why it's so impressive. Yeah, right. But, but, it's but, you more know. on Guardiola than it is on Man City, to be fair. 
It is. I, I totally agree. Guardiola, I Guardiola is a good manager, and he's also had everything handed to him. He can buy yeah. any pretty much any and player he wants whenever he by wants. By the way, let's spend, let's also give credit to their previous million. managers. Let's give credit to guys like Mancini, right? And Pe- or, am I, I would say no, Pellegrini Mancini too. Is it Pellegrini too? <laughs> yes. Yeah. They're all towards Mancini, Pellegrini, Pepperoni, Panucci. Yeah, I mean, all, all of them. All the, all the Italians who, are, yeah, no, those guys who came before though do give them credit because they really set the foundations for Pep to come in, and Pep basically inherited. A I, give Man- I give Mancini love. I give Mancini. Yeah. I probably Mancini give more than Pellegrini. Mancini more was the Pellegrini real guy. Set the Mancini were still like at that point where they weren't like they weren't a mid-table team, but they weren't a Champions League tier team. And, Ma- and yeah, Mancini no, not only took them to the Champions League, but he was one. Of, he was the one who set the foundations by. Yes, delivering. And if we want to talk about um, big money and and managers. Uh, being signed by the grossest uh, organizations on the planet. Uh, Eddie Howe has done a, a tidy little job at Newcastle so far on the other side of that oil derby. He's got them believing no, he's made it. some, he's made some smart signings. Um, I'm, I'm still disappointed. They didn't get relegated last year. Um, and I will continue to be disappointed, but I still think it's like a three, four year cycle before they're truly up at the very top. But Eddie with Eddie, Howe, it's going to be a little faster. I didn't, I wasn't fully on board and and he's proving me wrong. Um, they went toe to toe with Man City today. Yeah. They, they did go toe to toe. Let's look at this from the other side. They were hanging on a bit at the end, but for the most part, they were really going for it. And that trippier went up on the most unstoppable team in the world. And this is like the third game of the season. And, and looked like they should have had a fourth. Uh, there were there were a lot of great opportunities for them. By the way, that Trippier free kick, I like the moment he's put the ball down. I, I told uh, my roommate that's going in. He just had the look on him that was like, "I'm putting this postage stamp, and no one can stop me." It's there, there was becoming a, a Ward Prowse situation where every time he's taken a free kick, you're like, "He scored this, three this is more and taken four. He's taken four and scored three so far. He, he was lucky yeah. to stay on the pitch. I think he was lucky to stay on the pitch. So, I, I know, Jeff. I, I know you I, saw that challenge. Jesse and Oscar, Chris, did you guys see I, it? I thought that was the right call personally, um, but I'm also a believer that like, I really hate when the refs consistently come in and try to change up a game, especially like that, where it has been very back and forth. It has been a little bit physical at times, you know, a three, three game can get choppy. Um, This is the type of game where a decision like that changes the game completely. And you're rather ref not make the decision, then make the decision. And um, here's, Here's where we have to dig into um, kind of one of what I will say the problem with VAR is, is that the biggest problem with the officiating this game is that I think the referee, technically speaking, got it wrong in that that wasn't a clear and obvious error. However, I think he got it right from the sense that he did what we want the Premier League's uh, rules about VAR to be. Make the call and then you yourself as a referee go to the monitor, take a look and decide, did I miss something? That's and he and he doesn't have the ego to say he's too good. He went over and looked at it and said, I got it wrong. Maybe I thought the studs were up. Maybe I thought the foot was too high. And he go back and he takes another look at it. It doesn't have to be in slow-mo. It doesn't have to take five years. He went back, saw a couple angles. He said the studs were down. He got him with clearly the entire other side of the foot. He got him up where he ties his shoes. It was a fantastic bit of refereeing and the biggest problem with it is that the official instructions from the premier league are clear and obvious error and it may not have been a clear and obvious error but it was still the right call in a physical game it was an orange card it's the kind of card where you should go over and give the yellow and say this is also your warning i'm not giving you a warning for your second yellow what was at the height of the bruins knee the bruins knee the bruins knee was bent and halfway down right alex if trippier can get away with that without getting a red imagine what casemiro is gonna get away exactly he's gone gone, it's a lot Careers and without getting a yellow card, if that Trippier challenge wasn't a straight red, I don't okay. think Casemiro gets away with anything because Casemiro doesn't know how to keep his studs down, and the Premier League hates no, that. But no, but Casemiro always, always gets away with it off shy. And in the off shy, off shy, oh no, no, everywhere. If he can get away with it in La Liga, imagine what he's going to do in the Premier League, the most he, physical league. He gets world. away with it in La Liga. He gets away with it in the Champions League. He gets away with it with Brazil. What makes you think? And by the way, other Brazilian defensive midfielders get away with it. Uh, Fabinho and for the Fabinho longest time, Fernandinho. Fabinho. He doesn't have to be as dirty, but he does the same things. He, he no, pulls he the exact same style of fouls. Rodri pulls the exact same style of fouls too. What? No, we didn't. Yes. No. Like, hey, bro, you're just saying Hard. random midfielders at this point. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm naming players who consistently commit yellow card challenges that don't get yellow cards for them. Okay, we didn't get all the scale. The, the scale of the challenges Casemiro commits. Oh, Casemiro's still the king. Casemiro's still the top of that list, but it's not like he's there by himself. That's my point. Oh, I, I want. We didn't get Oxlade's 
take quickly as being a Man U fan. Oh, Akshay hates the Casemiro signing because Akshay's Thank dumb. you. Thank you. I just needed to make sure that someone... No, no, no. Jesse, 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 do you think Casemiro's a good player right now, but it's a bad buy because it's not a part of the long-term project? Akshay yeah. thinks Casemiro's a bad player. Can I speak he has more champions here? Hold. He has more can champions. Get him. So, someone else get him. I'm out. Can I speak for myself here? Can I... Can I speak for myself no, no we speak so, for you. um we all we all saw my initial take on customer in the group chat i would like to re redact on that a little bit i was being a little reactionary i still think that it's not a helpful signing whatsoever but i kind of shot on casemiro in that take i want to pull this up this one one yeah, go ahead you can call me you can call okay. me i'll i'll, I wanna, I'll, I wanna, I'll be okay. held to it i'll um, be held to it He's going to be pinging balls to our wingers like the second coming of prime. That was sarcastic. Ball. No, you're he's, taking words out of my mouth. That was sarcastic. Old. He's 30 years old and has won the highest honor in European football five times. He's played with some of the best players in the world for his entire career. He basically has nothing left to prove. He's not known for his leadership. How does he fit into a Premier League team that should be in rebuild mode? Oh, and, yes, yellow, and I, stand, I still yellow stand by every single word of that. What? I still stand by every single word of that. Actually, I also quoted his goal tally as why he wouldn't be a good player. Can we just start there? I I not. I'm not saying anything about his goal tally. Actually, the, fir oh, actually, no, no, the no, first no, thing yeah, you said was his goals, assists, and yellow cards. Yeah. That yeah, was the that first was, thing you brought that up. That was mainly to point out how many yellow cards he has compared oh, to me. He scored a pretty good goal in the Champions League final. He could score better. He scored That was his only pretty... contribution to the Champions League final. That is not true. That's not true. I watched that whole entire season. Casemiro is a really important player. If you watch the – and this is why I actually think he's a good player for Manchester United. He allows – Hurry. Do you yeah. remember the whole entire thing why you thought Varane was a good player and why I know he's not that great of a player? Yeah. Do you want to know another reason why, like, Casemiro is a good player? What? It has a lot to do with anytime you have defenders that have, like, the tendency to run up, right? Like Ramos did, like Varane do. Like, they go up to attack, which isn't like. Like, head ass McGuire does every so yes. often. What does Casemiro do every single back. time? Foul him. No, he drops back. He drops yeah, back. But you, okay, but, yeah, he, United, but that's, that's, not, that's not applicable to United because United don't have defenders who can attack. Their wingbacks are... We had, no, no, that's not, they might not be the able ball. to. They the still do it. Luke Shaw and... and no, that doesn't... Hurry, hurry. Whether or not they're good at it is irrelevant. Is they do it. it. Yeah. Their tendency is still to do it. United are going to win the Premier League because they're going to... Casemiro... Doing defensive work is great. United are not going to win the Premier League with Luke Shaw and Alex Tellez and Diego Dallo and whoever the fuck else are putting in. No, no, no. None Four of those guys will Casemiro. start this. None of those guys will start. None of those guys will start. My 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 brothers, it will be Terrell Malasia and then Martinez and Varane and then uh, Serginho Dest on the right. Uh, Maguire, gone. Dallo, gone. Shaw, gone. Uh, you, you know okay, why? Why? why do we keep talking about this? Like Manchester United are going to go right back to contending for the Premier League in the next one to two years. Oh, why do we keep saying that? That's so true. No, I said contending for the top four. For okay, I never fine. said – they're not winning a title, but actually they can they – that, be... that is even unrealistic, okay? No, it's not. I, don't, I think we are seriously – we are seriously giving Manchester United too much credit here for the position they are currently in. They are still in way shittier of a position than I think we're giving them credit for. Jack, like, I want to I, I go back to I want to go back to this point that like the idea that United are always like they're not going to accept finishing seventh or eighth um, and just like taking if they these, collapse the foundations. But they're always going to sign good players. But again, last summer they signed excellent players and they finished in seventh. If they collapse, if so, if, if they're gonna if they're gonna finish in seventh or seventh or you know outside the top four, they might as well be at least laying the foundation for them to succeed later down the line to consistently be at the top, which is not what they're doing when they're spending this kind of money on players like Casemiro who are good but may not. Fit Curry, if if United well collapse, if United collapse, it's gonna be after at least another two windows of this, and it's gonna be into like fourteenth for a year. Um, let's Jesse's right. We need to hit one more topic before we wrap up, and this is an interesting topic. Start our last topic here, if that's okay. Because I had a very, I had a very interesting topic in mind, which is that we've seen a lot of shock results around the Premier League this year. And one of the things that it's taught me is less that the great teams are great, because the great teams have still been performing well in uh, Europe for the past few years. The the more interesting thing though is that I don't think. Uh, I can identify truly the bottom of the Premier League anymore. I was trying to figure out who was getting relegated, and I was ready to say, okay, you know, Bournemouth, uh, very unlikely to survive. But other than that, it like it seems to me like there's just a, a bottom of the Prem that's gotten a lot better. That that like 
13 to 19 has gotten so much better in the past few years. It used to be free points, and now it's not. I, 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 I can name one team I think yeah, actually will get relegated this year. Okay. Well, Manchester Can you give me three? Okay. Oh, all right. Well, Manchester United is one of them. I mean, Jeff, you're talking about you don't see a team at the bottom. You don't, you don't see any team at the bottom of the Premier League table. Homie, have you not been watching Manchester United? Hurry, I'll put the house on it. United aren't getting relegated this year, and you don't think so either. Of course, that's a joke. Um, okay, but 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 I'm trying to be genuine about the bottom of the the league this year. Who do you actually think gets relegated? I don't think Villa's going to get relegated, but I think they need to step up, or they're going to be they're going to be in that conversation because they have not started the season well. I still think Bournemouth are going to go down. Bort- Villa, so Bournemouth. Villa remind me of Everton from last season, where it's like, yeah, they suck, but they just have too much talent in their lineup to go down. But do Everton remind you of Everton from last year because they also no. could be in danger? I think well, they're not. They're a shell of their good. former selves. They don't have Richarlison anymore. They don't. Um, they, there's another guy they let go who is really I'm forgetting. Deli, but, well, it's not Deli Ali. Uh, I don't know. No, no, it's not Deli Ali. <laughs> <laughs> no, Everton are a shell, and I think they, they we're underestimating how big of a difference Rashardless had made in that squad. Now that he's gone, I think it's Good. really showing. Um, but yeah, I think Villa are just they have too much talent. They have guys. They still have guys like Coutinho, like Watkins. Um, like Tyron Mings, like that, that's just too much talent to go down. And they still have a really good goalkeeper in Ebby Martinez as well. Honestly, I agree. I think, I think Villa have way too much talent. I, I think I said last season how disappointed I was with the way Villa played Danny Ings, you know, um, uh, Emmy, Emmy Buendia, Cash. Coutinho, Matty Cash, Dinier, uh, as well. I think uh, 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 Tyron Mings, um, Luca Dinia is very good. Um, yeah, with, with the talent they have, Trezeguet. Their squad is legit half ex-Everton players. I just realized that. Douglas, <laughs> Douglas Louise. The good ones, though. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, I think I think this is a, a – and Alex and I brought, talked about this uh, off, offline a few days ago, is I just think Prem this season has gotten a lot better. I mean, I think, first of all, I think that outside of Man U, I think that those five teams are have all – I mean, Tottenham, Chelsea – and Arsenal, I all believe. I know Tottenham lost. I'm sorry. I know that Chelsea lost player. Doesn't matter. I think they've all gotten better. I look at the middle of the table. Middle table, maybe not so much. But then you look at the towards the bottom. I mean, you have a team like Wolves, who maybe you know at that 14, 15 spot this year. Wolves last year were an eight. Aston Villa were a tough place to play. They may be getting down there a little bit. Bright, Brighton's got Brighton even with losing a few players. They, they're tough to go and play against. Brentford's hard to play against. Leeds can score. I mean, there, there are very few matchups. West Ham um, may, may not be as good this year, but like this Fulham team looks lot. up for it too. Yeah, like relative relative to the team that was up two years ago, this Fulham team looks up and trying to stay. One hundred percent agree. I think what's like a microcosm for how much the league has improved in terms of like the quality of each individual side since last season is that like if you look at the top four race last season, it wasn't so much who do you think looks who's performing the strongest and looks most likely to get in the top four it's who looks least likely to who's gonna hold four. on who's yeah, gonna that, hold that's right, right. yeah you're right and, and, we but, but, about between arsenal sense. chelsea and tottenham it was you know who who or and, and united like it's not which of those two who's the best of those two teams who's the worst you're asking who, who's the worst is who has the least amount of problems it's the opposite now now they all look like real contenders yep. And it's like that for the rest of the league. It's like yeah. that at the bottom. It's the same story at the bottom. Of the I want to. I want to force everyone to put three names together because I'm genuinely curious, and I think we could hear twelve different names. I, I want to put. Hot take. I want everyone to put three Sorry, names God. together on their relegated teams. I've got a hot take. I think Wolves. All right. Who uh, else? I think, I... Yeah. Well, I just want to tell. I think. I think Wolves are in a lot more trouble than they realize. I think that their style as a team has gotten so stagnant and so dry. Uh, the way they play offense is just sickening to watch. I don't know if you guys have watched Wolves lately in any of their matches, but. Their offense stinks, uh, and it has for the past season and a half now. And it, it, it's really like, again, I think the absence of guys like Adama Traore, guys who used to push the pace of that signature Wolves counterattack, their absence is still really showing in terms of the way that Wolves are continuing to try to play. And I think they're in a lot more danger than they realized this year. Um, and they you know, they, they haven't adapted in any way whatsoever. They're trying to be team Portuguese youth, and it's working out really horribly. Uh, does Real Jimenez so, yeah. still start for them? Raul Jimenez? Sorry, what did you say about him? Does he, does he still start for them? 
Uh, I believe yes. he does. Yeah, he still starts yeah. up top when. But he needs to get the hell out. He's by far and away the best player they have right now, and he needs to get Agreed. the hell out. I, and no, can, can we, can we talk about how they never replaced Moutinho as a partner for Neves? They've tried, like, but they've yeah. never replaced Moutinho. Yeah. And that, like, the difference between good Moutinho and bad Moutinho has been the difference between good Wolves and bad Wolves, and they've never Agreed. found a good partner for Neves. Yeah, that's Agreed. a great Neves point as well. A great player. I, I who wants to start this one off? Um, well, they, for... just signed, um, they just signed um, Mateus uh, Nunez. So, yeah. I'd be also curious can we include who you think is going to be in 17 from there and just that last team to yes. stay up? Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. So I'm going to, I'll go first here. I'm going to go uh, Bournemouth, Nottingham Forest. Okay. Uh, the last one is really hard. And that, uh, that's an order, right? So you're saying Bournemouth. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. Bournemouth, Nottingham Forest. I'm going to go Everton at 18th. And this may surprise you because I just think their lack of business has done really bad. I'm going to go Leicester City at 17. I think that it, it, they, they lost their spark. They haven't signed players. They've gotten rid of people. They lose their captain in Caster Schmeichel. Um, I don't really know for a Wait, team really? Like that. Yeah, yeah, Schmeichel's gone to uh, Oh, that's France. why Joel Wards was – oh, my God, I need to pay more attention to that. So, <laughs> I mean, the one thing that I really question about Leicester as well is – there are very few Cinderella runs that can happen like the way they did. And also for a team like that to consistently have a year's worth of runs, why not as a club go and sign players go, maybe, you know, in like five years, we're not, we're going to be back in the championship or we're going to be at the bottom of the, you know, towards bottom. But in the meantime, why don't we continue this run and go for it? You know, we still have Jamie Vardy. We're going to lose him in a few years. James Madison will probably lose because of money. Um, Harvey Barnes, we may lose at some point because of money, but like screwed in the meantime, go for it. Yeah, they're they're getting they're getting big money for players. I mean, it's not like Chilwell was free to hand out, right? Like, it's not like that. I mean, even when you go back and and Chelsea went and raided them, they've been getting money for this for their players. And some of the investment in youth has kind of trickled off because it used to be they were spending money on young guys like Madison when they were originally getting that influx of cash yeah. in the in the late teens. Jeff, why are you going? Because we got less than five minutes to go, and I also yeah, I. I'm going to go with Bournemouth and uh, I'm going to go with Bournemouth at 20th. I'm going to put Forrest at 18th actually. Um, and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to drop in here at 19th. I think this is just going to be a, a bad to worse year for Everton. I'm, I'm just scared. Uh, if we look at last year's relegation problems, uh, the, I mean, Leeds have obviously uh, so far, at least it looks like Marsh has figured it out. They've made a couple of very shrewd signings in Adams and uh, Aronson who looks Aronson could be America's best player right now uh, come Thanksgiving. But I, I think that Leeds look better. The other teams got relegated. And I think that this year, Everton's not going to be able to avoid the dip. And your 17? My 17? Wolves. All right, Oksha, really quick. Play. Alex, yeah, go. I'll go. Uh, yeah, I think Bournemouth, Bournemouth and Nottingham, 20th and 19th. That's pretty set in stone for me. Um, you know, I'll go Fulham for 18th. I think actually all three promoted teams, they just don't like, I know a lot of us are really, uh, all the rest of you guys are pretty hot on Fulham, especially Jeff, but honestly, I don't, I, I still don't think they're showing enough. Um, and mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I think it's going to be one of those years where the three promoted teams are the ones that go down again. Um, and for, for 17th, I will go Wolves as well. I think Wolves are really in a tough spot and they don't recognize how dire their situation is as a club. Uh, and I think that's going to come back to bite them. For me, Chris, I'm going to go Southampton. Oh, for me, all right, we'll go in Chris. We're going Chris. For me, I'm going to go pretty much the same thing as Jesse, except switch 17 and and uh, 18. You, Jesse, you had uh, Everton as 18th, right? I just think Everton always tries to find, you know, just a sliver of hope at the end of the season. So I think they'll stay up. Just somehow for the graces of God. Yep. Okay. Uh, uh, Alex? All right. So I'm going to go – I think Bournemouth go down. Uh, I actually think Southampton go down. Actually, I mentioned Wolves as a team that's, like, stagnated. Southampton really haven't improved. I think it's only a matter of time, but I think they're going to go down. And then Everton as well. Um, so, yeah, Everton, you know, lost their best player, have been awful, haven't improved. So – I want to – Oh, just for – like just for 17th. Uh – Oh, that's a tough one. Forest, I'm going to go, go Lester. Just okay. So I'm going to go very quick last thing, and I want to answer one word. Your young player of the season, Premier League. Alex, go quick. Holland. One player. Holland. Young player. Akshay. Holland or Aronson? Okay. Chris. Unfortunately, Holland. 
Okay, Jeff, go. Aronson. Okay, I'm going to change this up. Matthew 2.11. Jeff, answer. Who's my young player this season? Saliba. Saliba. That's actually bad. That's a dominant dark horse. What a what a that's like a dark horse candidate. And and I really listen. I picked him as my young player of the season for Arsenal. I think he actually is going to be the one of the best defenders in the league. Um, but we're we're going to get cut off. So I wanted to end that way. Um, Jesse, quick thing for your for your Leicester City take. Brendan Aronson currently on the hottest seat according to the odds makers in England. First one to be fired. Uh, Next to him, next to him are a pair of uh, iconic English midfielders and Ten Hag. Gerard Lampard, Ten Hag, Rogers are the big four in terms of getting fired. Well, with that, yep, go ahead. With with that, we will see how that unfolds. But until then, I'm Alex Perry alongside Chris Lewis, Akshay Wadwani, Jeffrey Azahauser, and Jesse Levine. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening.